And so uh, tonight, <laughs> I thought that would be a humorous illustration that how, of how important it is to put first things first. Come on, tell somebody, put first things first. Look with me first at the truth that is taught uh, by the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 10. Um, if you're looking at verse 19, I'll wait for you to find it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Hebrews. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Well, Hebrews all the way in the back of your Bible. I'd be surprised how many folk would start off like this. <laughs> uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Um, recently, I, I, I talked from this passage. And uh, as I was preparing to teach on it uh, and preparing the message that I was going to teach, uh, because really the meat of the message is in the five phrases of let us. In verse uh, 22, 23, 24, uh, 25, uh, two of them in 25. Um, and uh, But of course, when you see the word therefore, I was taught by my homiletics instructors that whenever you see the word therefore, it should force you to ask the question, what is it therefore? So notice in verses 15. Uh, down to verse 18. As foundation, I'm not going to deal with the rest of the passage, but the truth of these verses is foundational to what the Lord has for us tonight. The text says, the Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. The truth of uh, what uh, the apostle is preparing the saints there in this particular passage of scripture is that you can't understand what God wants to do to you and through you if you don't understand the foundation that he's already laid in you. That foundation is the foundation of a covenant. This, uh, this passage uh, where it says that he's going to put his laws in your heart and he's going to write them on your minds, it, it comes from the Old Testament uh, prophet Jeremiah. And in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, uh, verse 31, uh, and I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, just to give you the foundation of where um, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is, is speaking from. He says in verse 31 of chapter 31, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. That new covenant is the covenant that we're experiencing now after Christ. Uh, this is before 
uh, the coming of the Messiah. He says, I'm going to put a new, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will not be, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And he goes on uh, to say uh, on that, uh, uh, that, that he's not going to, remember uh, their sins anymore against them. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, um, will a man teach his neighbor uh, or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. There are some things you got to do first. You, you got to have as a foundation your commitment to the Lordship of Christ. To, to get to a place where not only have you submitted to the Lordship of Christ and he, you have the confirmation in your own walk that he has genuinely forgiven you, but that he is also empowering you to do something that you could not do apart from that confession of faith, apart from that commitment to his lordship in your life. It's, it's where uh, you've actually come to a place where uh, the Lord is proclaiming, listen, I'm not going to remember the mistakes that you've made in the, in the past. You, you know, the, the children of Israel had to keep coming back annually, I mean, uh, year after year, bringing their sacrifices. And, and the text says, you won't, you know, you won't have to be, you don't have to do that. You're not going to have to bring sacrifices again and again and again. But one sacrifice, of course, they didn't see what that one sacrifice was, but it was the shed blood of Jesus. So once for all, and we see that in the book of Hebrews, once for all, the Lord is going to cover our sins with his own blood. That's a good place to say amen. amen. The way you recognize uh, the Lord is going to cleanse me. He's going to empower me. He's going to put an anointing upon my life so that not only am I saved, but he's put a running in my feet so that I'm going to continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that what the world desperately needs is not someone who just knows that they're right, but someone who is right and is desirous of getting others to that place of being right. Where you become someone that God can use to touch the world in which you live. Some folk are called to become missionaries and to actually get on a boat or on a plane or uh, go to a foreign land, learn a foreign language and, and minister to people that you don't know. 
You're not around family and friends. You're not around where you were born or raised or grew up. But to be someone that is taking the truth of the gospel to people that you've never seen and do not know. There are those that are called to do that. I actually thought about uh, learning a foreign language and going to a mission field and becoming someone that God could use in that powerful way. I'd read books about C.T. Studd and, and others that were pioneer missionaries. And I remember going to Worldwide Evangelization Crusade called WEC, W-E-C, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. And I sat in meetings because I was, before I was married, thinking about, huh, going to a foreign field and giving my life uh, in that way to minister to others uh, su- uh, by, by God's supernatural power, like C.T. Studd uh, and like some of these other missionaries that I'd read about. But, but uh, the Lord called me to be used in my own area, yes. caused me to touch the people in my own family. Both my brothers are saved because I'm saved. They married saved wives, or if they didn't marry saved wives, their wives became saved because of the influence that was in their brother, their husband's brother and his wife. So that, so that to see yourself as someone That wherever you go, you're lighting up the corner where you are. Whether I went to Africa or to South America or to some other foreign field, um, that God would use me right where I was. Actually, uh, when my wife and I married and I talked with her about becoming a foreign missionary, I I actually thought because I was I was so discouraged from being a pastor in the United States because I'd seen my pastor go through such a trial pastoring a church of God congregation uh, where, where he actually was forced out by the brethren in the state to start all over again. And we saw that congregation split and the splinters split so that that congregation literally was destroyed before my very eye. And my wife and I were the youngest couple that separated from our home church to go with our pastor to start a new congregation. A congregation, actually, while he was alive, that grew to be a congregation close to a thousand members. So the Lord validated his ministry in the midst of all of that storm. And I said to myself, no way. I am, I'm not going through any of that. I'm leaving. I, listen, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet. <laughs> and I'm going somewhere, learn another language, and minister to people where they are. But as I went through the Moody Bible Institute in, pre- in preparation to become a foreign missionary, I took every New Testament course that they offered except one, (laughs) pastoral epistles. (laughs) Hmm. 
I mean, even the book of Revelation with Daniel and Revelation, I took the gospel of John. I took the synoptic gospels. I took the book of Acts as a course. I took first and second Corinthians as a course. I took first and second Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians as a course. I took Galatian and prison epistles as a course. And I mean, do you understand? I determined to learn the New Testament and memorize Hundreds of passages of scripture, even on the way. I mean, you know, you go to the Mubilans Bible Institute, they're going to make you memorize scripture. I mean, they would give you the reference and you have to write out the verse. And if you put a uh where a the should be, minus one point. Amen. Minus one point was an A minus. Minus two points was a B plus. And if I tell you I got an A, that means I got perfect papers. Amen. Amen. Preach that truth. Go on, son. Listen, you got to root for yourself in this journey. But in the process, by the time I got to my third year as a senior, I saw that the Lord had let me see the church at its worst to create a church at its best. And now my wife and I, we went to pastor the Sharma Community Church of God and saw that church grow from a congregation of less than 100 people. 41 people voted on me as their pastor. And uh, before I left that church, we had a congregation of close to 400 as we applied biblical truth and saw the Lord grow that church as we discipled others. I even took them to a special place, the different ones that were coming from MIT and from Harvard and from the many colleges that were in the Boston area. And Yvonne and I discipled them. I pulled together outlines and we went through them and, and we brought a, a group of some 30 some folk to a place of spiritual maturity where we saw a work of God birthed in Boston, Massachusetts, of all places. Uh, you could call Boston uh, the land of the chosen frozen. <laughs> the bedrock of, of liberal democracy. In fact, when everybody Every state in the union voted for Richard Milhouse Nixon in his second term. The only state that did not vote for him. And, you know, he's the only president that I, in my lifetime that I can remember. He resigned. He didn't finish his second term. Um, Watergate and all of that went along with that. And... Um, but the only state that didn't vote for him was Massachusetts. And a bumper sticker was being passed out. And I would ride behind cars that had the bumper sticker. Don't blame us. We're from Massachusetts. <laughs> but I literally saw that God had fashioned and shaped me into 
pastoral clay to do a work for him. And we've seen that work actually grow to a place where Jubilee is now the largest church, Catholic or Protestant, in six states, all of New England. That's Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. To God be the glory. Come on, clap your hands. It is, it is putting first things first. It is getting folk really saved. Uh, not just where you shake a preacher's hand, you dip them in water, and they don't change the life that they're living. But where you take the time to disciple them, to teach them the kind of life that they need to live, and what it really means to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, to know what the word says, and then to let your faith be connected to the power of the Holy Spirit so that with God in you, nothing shall be impossible. That being said, turn with me. I, I know this is backwards because I've started with the New Testament. Now I'm going to take you over to the Old Testament. But remember, now this text is saying that the Lord wants in this new covenant dispensation uh, for he's going to write his, he's going to put his laws in your heart and write them on your minds. So to be something that you can never forget because it has impacted not just the things that you may do on Sunday mornings, but it has impacted who you are Sunday through Saturday. Amen. 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 Look with me at the, um, the Old Testament uh, prophet Ezekiel. When the truth of the word of God runs deep in you, it becomes, it's, it's of such that it transforms you from the inside out. The change may not be seen in, well, it can be seen even in terms of the way you look, uh, the smile on your face, the way you will dress or the way you will not dress, the places you will go or the places you will not go, the things that will characterize your life uh, versus the things that you wouldn't be seen with that as a part of you. Notice verse 30 of chapter 22 of Ezekiel. Before I read this, let me give you the, the, the uh, title of my message. It is, are you what God is looking for? Come on, say it with me. Are you, look at somebody. Look at somebody when you say it. Are you what God is looking for? Amen. Amen. Verse 30 of Ezekiel 22 
that says, I look for a man, uh, uh, allow me to make this generic, uh, because I believe that God is not just looking for male persons. He's looking for female persons as well. So instead of saying man, uh, let me just say someone. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. The saddest part of this verse is the last phrase, but I found none. It's so sad that God, with all of his omniscience, with all, I mean, if this was in the New Testament, it would be in red letters because the Lord's the one that's speaking. He said, I looked for someone among them, but I found none. In all of his power, omnipotence, in all of his wisdom, omniscience, in all of his vast presence, omnipresence, God said, I looked, I searched. One text actually says, I searched for someone among them, but I found none. It's not that there weren't people that were a part of the people of God. Uh, uh, it's not that there was nobody that was somewhat like what he was looking for, but he found none because no one fulfilled all of the criteria that he outlined in the text. Uh, you might ask the question, but well, well, wait a minute. Ezekiel was one. Why, why not Ezekiel? Well, yeah, Ezekiel was, was one as a prophet over the nation. But God was not looking for someone who was a leader over the nation. He was looking for someone who was a leader in the individual living. He said, I look for someone among them, not someone over them, someone among them. What he's looking for is not the big leader like your pastor or me or, or the apostle. I don't no. He's looking for someone that's a family member, someone that when you go to the cookout, everybody knows who that be. So that when Snooky arrives, everybody says, Snooky's here. Every family needs to have a Snooky. Someone among them. Not just someone that they know about far away that they've never met. Or maybe that they've heard of that person and met them, but that person doesn't really impact their lives because he's not among them. He's not one of them. His name may be different. His, his background may be different. He, you can't say, oh, no, no, they, no, no, he's my cousin. Who is he? He's my cousin. Who is she? Oh, she's married to my brother. Someone connected. Someone that they know. 
someone that they trust, someone who is actually has been among them long enough that they can see the difference between the before and after. What is he looking for? He said, I look for someone among them. All right. All right. So the among them is important. Someone who's connected. Someone who they know. You don't have to shake hands with them and say, my name is. You don't have to introduce yourself. They know you like they know themselves. You're someone that has been there for a while. You're connected. So I look, number one, for someone that's among them. And there's there's no one here that lives in a cave that no one knows where that person is. They never see them. They sit in a cave. Or, they, you know, uh, there are, are, are monks in, in Catholicism that... They don't speak. Historically, I don't know if there are still today, but monks that don't speak, all they do is sit and read and pray and pray and sit and read and then they sit and read and then they pray and then they pray and sit and read. I guess every now and then they break to get something to eat. But you can, can you imagine being so disconnected and believing that that's what God wants you to do? The kind of confusion that there is in religious circles is, is phenomenal. But the Lord said through the prophet Ezekiel, I'm looking for someone who's connected, someone among them. And I want those persons that are among them to do two simple things. Number one, I want them to be qualified educationally enough, spiritually enough, biblically enough to build up a wall around the people that they're among. Think about that. That's not a minor feat. And it's not just something that any church member can fulfill. It will take having a sense of mission where you will actually ask yourself the question, what does the average person that lives in this city that, or this person that's a part of my family, maybe not a close member, but a distant member. Maybe they've married into the family, but now I know them and they've been in the family for a decade and we've seen each other at different events, family events, gatherings, per se. We're among them. I know them by name. They know me by name. Maybe it's a person you're really close to that you have. I've got cousins that... I grew up with them because our mothers were sisters. So when I talk about my cousin Jerry, he's like a brother to me because my mother was the sixth in the birth order and his mother was seventh. Amen? Yeah. So my mother, who was kind of high sedity, 
would call her sister or no, the other way around. My Aunt Dimples would call my mother. That's the way I remember it because the phone would ring and my mother with her high sedity voice would answer the phone singing. She didn't just say hello, monotone, hello, but she would say, hello. <laughs> and I imagine that my Aunt Dimples would say, hey, girl. And then my mother would say, hey, Dimp, how you doing? Aunt Dimples. Hey, Dimp, what's, what's going on, girl? I mean, the slur, the slang, the slanguage. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could tell my mother was talking to someone she didn't know because her tongue would dot her eyes and cross her teeth. <laughs> this matter of you being someone among them, first qualification that you that all of us qualify for. But now, with the people that you're among, you build up a wall of truth around them. The Bible says that God has appointed walls of salvation for us. What is the truth that enables you to be saved? What is the truth that even a lot of church members don't know, they aren't aware of. Oh, they know they got saved and they got baptized. But, but to be someone who can quote chapter and verse, someone who knows what are the truths that surround me, that, that hem me in behind and before and around walls of salvation that fortify me against the attacks of the enemy. The Lord says through Ezekiel, I'm looking for some folk like that. I'm looking for some folk who, who actually recognize the importance of truth being settled in the hearts of God's people. One prophet said, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold holds the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. That you are someone who is a truth teller, a truth talker. You are someone that you know the truth that has set you free and you are determined to speak that truth that will set others free. And the beautiful thing about truth is that truth sets us all free in different ways. If I was an alcoholic, the truth can set me free from my alcoholism. If I was a drug addict, truth can set me free from my drug addiction. If I was a liar, truth can set me free from telling lies to telling the truth. Uh, the, 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 whatever it was that God saved me from, I become a professional person in that specific area. And the amazing thing is that God can lead you to the very people that are 
that were just, that are just like you were. The reason God does that is that he wants to use you as an example that if you can be free, I can be free. Amen. I remember I was in a um, wedding. Actually, I performed the ceremony and it was a house wedding where the person didn't want to get married in the church. They wanted to get married in their house, and they invited all their friends and neighbors that would come, they would, that lived close, and they came to be in uh, a part of the audience in that wedding. And uh, after the wedding was over, a brother came up to me, and uh, this was a number of years ago because I was still pastoring the Shaman Community Church of God. So I started pastoring that church when I was 26 and uh, and I started the work that the Lord had prepared me for uh, uh, and, I, and that I, I served that church for another 30 years. Um, and um, I uh, so I was I left that church when I was 36. So I started the Shaman community, started pastoring the Shaman Community Church of God at 26. I was there for 10 years and I left at 36. So somewhere in between 26 and 36, I married this couple. I probably was in my early to middle 30s. Maybe I was 35. Okay. And this brother walked up to me and said, oh, man. He said, I can't get over it. You're a young man. And I mean, you, your words, your, your ministry and everything, and you're a young man. I said, well, he said, I, I mean, and I'm old and and been around a lot longer and and I I just can't get over it. And he just went on and on. He took me to the side and he just kept, I mean, he was exasperated that someone young like me could be as deep into what I was in as I was. Finally, after about 10, 15 minutes of him going on and on about he couldn't get over it, I stopped him and I said, oh, appreciate it, man. I said, by the way, how old are you? Because he kept saying intermittently, I mean, as old as I am. And man, look at you, as young as you are and how far you have gone. And here I am. I said, well, wait, wait, wait. How old are you? The Negro was younger than I was. Huh? Oh, he looked older because sin had beat him up around his face. He was overweight and all of that, but I was, you know, I was working out and jogging and, and running marathons and all that kind of craziness. And I said, how old do you think I am? 
And he looked at me, he said, Buh, you, you, you got to be in your 20s. I said, man, I'm 35 or whatever I was in my 30s. And his eyes became as big as saucers. And he, oh, man, you older than me? I need to get to work. I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, when the truth sets you free, it doesn't just set you free from sin. It sets you free from bad habits. It sets you free from things that you have no business. They have no business in your life. Amen. Jesus said, well, actually, it wasn't Jesus. It was the Apostle Paul who said that if you judge yourself, you would not be judged. And what is meant by that is that you should walk with a sense of, Lord, how am I doing? Am, am I doing what you need me to do? Am I walking in a way you need me to walk? And you need to ask yourself about all that you do. I mean, I love me some sweets. But then, I mean, I've gotten to the place where I'm seeing, you know what, Lord, all of this sugar, is not, it can't be good for you because it tastes so good. Well, where, where you judge yourself, where you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to see that anymore. That prescription, that uh, uh, what, uh, prescription, where you order something online, I used to order certain stuff. I'm not order. I'm not reading that book anymore. I'm not going to that kind of movie. In Do you understand that that you judge yourself so that someone doesn't have to tell you to stop or someone doesn't have to tell you to start that you begin to do things that are edifying, things that build you up. Because you're surrounded by truth. Amen. It even changes the people that you hang out with. Amen. I remember. After I got saved. Um, I was still hanging out with my old friends. And. Um, and I remember the thing that made me stop hanging out with them because I would go to the parties where everybody was moving and grooving and I became a wallflower. I stood off to the side because I wasn't doing that anymore. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't trust myself to be, you know, shut up and shut be in, in a corner. <laughs> they, they had the lights on, but it was a blue light. So I, I said, no, I, you know, I don't need to put that level of temptation on me. And I, I remember I, um, I was in the car, I was in the back seat, and, and uh, one of the girls that I spent some time with um, and um, that I knew um, was in the front seat, and we were bantering back and forth and she said something unkind to me 
And without thinking, I said something unkind to her. I know you're thinking, what was that? And I'm <laughs> just, just recognize that it was unkind. It's not something someone who claimed to be saved would say. And immediately I fell under conviction. And I said to myself, see, you can't do this. And that was the end of my hanging out with my old friends. And I remember uh, some weeks after that, I was in the neighborhood of where I graduated from high school. I graduated in January of 1964. And uh, so, uh, you know, that, that I got saved in April, April the 26th, 1964. And uh, soon after I got saved, I was near my high school as they were coming toward the end of the term and getting ready to go into the summer vacation. There were students that were out on the front, you know, during, during lunch, they were out on the front lawn of this huge high school. And so I walked through the gate and I, I saw some people that I knew uh, that were graduating soon or that were in younger grades. And, uh, and they saw me, did one call, hey, hey, brother. And, uh, and I walked over to them. It was a crowd of them sitting around, male and female. And uh, one of the brothers engaged me in conversation and said, how you been, man? He said, uh, yeah, uh, I said, oh, I've been fine. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't talk spiritual language. I said, no, no, I'm fine. And, um, and then he said these words to me. Um, I heard you got saved. You know, everybody doesn't know that language. I said, yeah. Yeah, I did. And when I answered so quickly and with such a positive affirmation, it shocked him. I said, yeah, yeah, God saved me. Lord, save me. Man, pull me out of darkness into light. Pull me out of sin into salvation. Ha, yeah, I'm saved. And then he said these exact words. I haven't seen you around. Talking about the parties that I was always there. And I said to him, that's why. Because the Lord saved me from it. There was a wall being built around me that pulled me out of the things that I used to do. I searched for someone among them, number one. Number two, who would build up the wall. So you build up a wall around yourself and you help to build up a wall around others. But then number three, someone who would stand in the gap before me for the land that I might not destroy it. So the Lord is not only looking for someone who will be a teacher, Someone who knows the truth that has set them free and who can espouse, who, who can actually expound upon the truth to those that they know, that they can share with them, teach them, instruct them, help them.
to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. But number three, that there's somebody who knows how to pray. Someone who stands in the gap before me, the Lord said, for the land. You know, there are folk who know truth, but are not prayer warriors. And then there are people that are prayer warriors, but they don't know the truth like they need to. You got to have the two together. And you got to have the third one, that you are a friendly person. You are someone among them. You, you, you may be quiet. You don't have to be boisterous and loud like I am. You may be a quiet person, pensive, you know, thoughtful. But you're someone among them, someone who has imbibed, you've absorbed truth that has set you free. Your life has been changed, transformed by that truth. And... You are someone who prays, someone who stands in the gap before God for the land. So that there are people in your life, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a friend, whether it's a, 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 a co-worker, whether it is a family member, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, that you are someone among them and you are crying out to God on their behalf. And if you see yourself that way, called of God, that you, you actually, you've got the law written on your hearts and it's on your mind so that it's not just something that you heard. It's something that has transformed who you are. You become like your pastor. He wants to see the church grow and develop and become all that it can be. And you'll be just like him. You'll be, you'll be winning people. Uh, I'm telling, I'm telling you, I have a sister in my church that um, she brought her aunt. Her aunt actually came to church, um, encouraged by her niece. And her aunt said to her, because it's a large church and in, in the service, there was probably close to a thousand people in that service. And so she said to her, to her niece, I've never met my pastor now that I'm saved. Uh, could you walk me up there and, and to, to meet him? And I was standing in the front. It was the only uh, service that I was going to speak or I had most of the times I'm, I'm, after I finished preaching and ministering around the altar, I take off. But this particular Sunday, I was standing down in the front and uh, Sister Julie brought her aunt up to me and uh, and she introduced her aunt to me. And she said, uh, she, my, my aunt has just joined this church. She recently got saved and um, she she recently got baptized and she's a, a newborn babe in the family of God. And uh she wanted to meet you and I hugged her and welcomed her to the family of God. And, uh, and she said, she looked at Julie and said, thank you, Julie. And Julie said, you can go ahead, auntie. I'll, I'll be right with you. I'll be right with you. 
and her aunt turned around and walked down the aisle toward the back of the church. And then Julie turned to me and put up her hand and said, that's the fifth member in my family that I won to this church. <laughs> the fifth member. Then she went through. She said, I came to this church invited by my girlfriend and my girlfriend. Who had been witnessing to me when I came to the church, I got saved. She said, then I went home. I started talking to my husband. I started working on him. Eventually, I was able to get him to at least come to church, and he got saved. Amen. 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 Then my husband and I began to pray and work on my brother, who was a drug addict. And when we got him to come to church, because our church had a drug ministry written, I mean, run by a brother who used to be a drug addict, and, and they would meet weekly in, a, in the church. He said, she said, my brother's now saved. He's a member of this church. He's off of drugs. That's the third person. That's her. That's her husband. That's her brother. She said, and then my mother said to me when I was home on a particular day, your brother is in church. He's no longer a drug addict. He's no, I'm no longer I'm afraid he's stealing from us for drugs. She said, I got to go to the church that can get my son off of drugs. She was a member of another church, but she wasn't saved. She came, she heard the word, and she got saved. Amen. He said, she said, and this aunt is my mother's Sister. I didn't win her. My mother talked with his her sister, and she's now saved. She has five members from one family. Julie now is on staff at the church. And I do church growth conferences. And I did a church growth conference in the city. And I got Julie as one of the persons that would help, you know, like you're passing out flyers and all that kind of stuff. And so she was there uh, with another person. They were assisting in the conference. And I told this story in the church growth conference. And afterwards, and this is years after Julie had come to introduce her aunt to me. Julie came up to me after the, the, the meeting was over and she said, she said, Bishop, I forgot about that encounter where I'd induced my aunt to you. She said, but you know what? That was years ago. She said, and she pointed out a section in our church, which was about as big as this section right here. She said, if I was to have people stand that have come to this church, have gotten saved, and are a part of this fellowship today, she pointed at a section. She said it would fill up this section. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is that God's looking for you. 
Are you who he's looking for? God's looking to you because there are hungry people out there, but they're eating everything that won't fill them up. And you have the food, the gospel, that can satisfy. Did you get anything out of this? I want to pray with you because I know that all of us can take our ministry to others to a greater level. So would you just agree in prayer with me? I'm going to pray slow enough for you to repeat it after me. And I'm going to be praying that the Lord would empower you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, and I, I believe in that. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you opening your heart every day to the Spirit's guidance and control. Where you are saying, Father, I'm in your hands. With my, in my life, be glorified. Lord, use me today. Pray this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare today that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I believe he's risen from the dead. And I thank you for the gift of salvation. Now, Lord, I've heard a word that will take me to a ministry level where I will recognize that I am someone among many. My prayer is that you will use me to build a wall of truth around those that I pray for that I will intercede on their behalf and then believe that you will open a door for me to share my witness with them. And in faith, I thank you for the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give yourselves a hand.